All right, for our last industry update this morning, we've got some major news out of D.C. And no, we're not talking about the riots from earlier this week. However, uh, it is some news that is in consequence of those riots. So here's reporting basically out of most major news outlets, but I'm pulling the basics from democracynow.org. Two members of President Trump's cabinet and the one uh, we're going to be focusing on today, which is Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, have resigned from said cabinet. Uh, DeVos cited the riots as their motivating factor for leaving, calling the events unconscionable and uh, a, quote, inflection point for her decision to step away. Um, But the main reason why we're highlighting this uh, resigning today is because right before resigning, uh, DeVos announced $54 billion in relief funding for reopening K-12 schools, as well as for analyzing and addressing potential education gaps that have been caused by the transition to remote learning during COVID. So now that uh, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos is no longer Education Secretary, I wanted to do a bit of reflection on the state of U.S. public education and some of the trends we've been talking about all year now that this chapter has come to a close. So for insights, we're joined by host of MarketScale's Remote Possibilities, Kevin Hogan. Kevin, great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, sir. How are you? Doing well. Uh, this is definitely some big news. I'm sure as soon as it dropped, you were uh, hankering for a little more info and looking for for as much <laughs> as, as you could for what was going on. Clarity? Yes, clarity. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, hopefully you've got some clarity on the issue because I am you know, looking to source your thoughts on all of this. So let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, if we step back now and look at the last four years, in your opinion uh, and in your analysis, uh, looking at uh, student outcomes, the state of the expansion of, uh, you know, let's say, uh, cutting edge ed tech, uh, just general quality of infrastructure or quality of curriculum, how has Betsy DeVos's leadership impacted the state of uh, public education today? What are your thoughts there? And give us just kind of an overview. Yeah, well, you know, like like everything else, uh, it's the, the the way I have to look at it is, you know, what I call uh, BP, which is before the pandemic, and uh, DP, which were during the pandemic, right? So uh, she was always a controversial figure, uh, as many cabinet members uh, of this administration were. Uh, specifically because she wasn't an educator, right? She came in and she also came in with lots of very strong ideas about uh, the, the funding of charter schools and private education. So she's always been a controversial figure. People in the traditional education community um, did not like her, uh, to be frank. And to look at um, the policies that were enacted, uh, many of them seem to be um, really nothing more than replacing or reversing policies that uh, the previous administration, the Obama administration, had put in. So when you look at things like civil rights uh, and when you look at the ideas in regards to funding private education, those were all things that were um, her legacy before the pandemic. Now, uh, in in the past year, um, you really kind of have to look at what the department did in terms of its response. to the pandemic. Uh, again, controversial in terms of her encouragement to get children back into schools. Um, I guess that's still one that's kind of debatable, right? Um, but then here, just this week, uh, it kind of 
more surprising to me than the fact that she resigned, which is basically at this point nothing more than a symbolic gesture because she was going to be out the door anyway, um, is the fact that you know she's leaving with a parting gift. I mean, opening up $54 billion with the B dollars for schools to not only uh, use those funds to reopen but also to look at testing is um, was frankly surprising to me. You mentioned this briefly, but yeah, she was often criticized during her um, her time as education secretary, mostly for her support of uh, charter schools and, like you said, rolling back Obama-era guidelines. But also, she's been a very vocal and staunch supporter of school choice and uh, encouraging the expansion of private education. So I think this is really at the core of her outlook on education and how that informed a lot of her policy decisions. So with that in mind, how has that school choice direction left both public and private schools as well as its students going into 2021? Well, I mean, and again, mentioning, uh, unfortunately, we have to add in the pandemic to everything that really kind of uh, throws a a wrench into things. Um, From my perspective, I think... um, there weren't that many things that she actually did to actually move those causes, uh, in ter- you know, with the exception of funding. But now, when you have fifty-four billion dollars uh, that is going to all schools, but that includes public schools, uh, and basically handing that check over to uh, Mr. Cordova um, for the next administration to to come into, um, I really don't think she will have left much of a mark. So as we look ahead now at a new education secretary, uh, most likely, um, you know, during the Biden administration, what changes do you think need to be made to not only further support public education, uh, but also set schools up for the more technology rich online integrated and hybridized learning models that COVID has normalized? Yeah, well, you know, in a lot of my reporting and, and conversations uh, with ed tech leaders and, and school district officials, um, they almost feel a little guilty, especially the innovative districts in that they see this as a huge opportunity. Um, the opportunity of the pandemic to that force-fed us remote learning, that force-fed us uh, the idea of hybrid schools uh, that really made every district become a one-to-one district uh, out of 15,000 school districts. Um, they did it. Uh, as maybe some are more successful than others, yes, but uh, the reality is that there has been a, a, a cause, you know, just a, a cosmic change that's happened here. And then with these funds, and once we come out of this madness, um, a lot of these techniques and a lot of these technologies um, will stay in place. uh, And they will also, they've also accelerated uh, the use of them, uh, the use of video conferencing, for example, uh, the use of uh, learning management systems that many districts had, but didn't really use. Now they're using them. Um, Professional development, Everybody's gotten it, whether they liked it or not. Uh, everyone knows how to use Zoom now. Every every kindergartner in this country is, you know, the, we can talk about the digital equity issues uh, on another conversation. But for those who have access to the technologies, they're using them. So it's really kind of a, you know, a silver lining situation here when it comes to the use of technology in education. 
Last thing I want to bring up with you, Kevin, um, we both already just kind of briefly mentioned it, but on her way out the door, DeVos made available those $54 billion for school relief due to COVID. Now, where do you think this money is going to be most needed as well as um, most well spent and why? How does it intersect with some other, I guess, broader trends that we're seeing in education that are most important? Yeah, when I mentioned the digital equity aspect before. There are 3 million students that have gone missing since the beginning of this pandemic. They're just kids who have just dropped off the grid by the mere fact that they don't have devices or internet access. So that's the first thing that needs to be addressed is just basic essential services for every student in this country. That it doesn't depend on their income level or their parents' income level. So that's 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 number one. And I think that, that most district leaders understand that and, and appreciate that. Um, the second is reinforcing um, that information infrastructure uh, and to get schools and those facilities uh, up to snuff. Uh, you know, E-Rate has been a, a successful government program uh, that was first started in 1996 just to get schools access. Those E-rate funds now need to be used to go to a next level to get high-speed internet access. So I, w- I would say that's number one. Number two, and, and is specific in the um, in the press releases that, that came out of the department, um, getting control over the learning loss that has occurred um, in the past year and better assessment of students and and how they do their work. Uh, that's that's those are the top two priorities, I think. 